This is music in the key of Geneva. I'm Kelly Walker. Music in the Key of Geneva is a project of the Geneva Historical Society. Museum curator John Marks has been researching all kinds of music and musicians around Geneva. But the city's musical history is still unfolding. John suggested we take a trip over to Seneca Street and visit with Michael George at Area Records. We hear so much, and there's I think there's a lot of popular assumptions about the rise and fall and death of music because of certain formats, you know. So you've seen 45s and... Seen 8-tracks. 8-tracks, <laughs> cassettes. Uh, you know, CD was killing vinyl. Now streaming is supposed to kill CDs. But, right. But, you know, here, here you are... Uh, Almost, almost 40, uh, 39 years later. And by gosh, how do I do it? <laughs> exactly. Area Records comes along in 1977 after having worked five years previous for Christensen Music here in Geneva. At that time, there was Costello Music, Christensen Music, or the two music stars that we had, Cast TV and Radio, which sold a lot of albums. Albums were their main thing, as well as television's radio repair service. And um, I had a hard time getting started because no one would loan me any money. And I don't blame them because I really didn't have anything. And they thought, you know, what's this kid want to do with uh, opening up a record store? Uh, we don't need one. We, you know, because at that time, too, you had your Neisner's and your other discount stores, your family bargain centers, you know, and it was all previous Walmart stuff. And they all sold records. Everybody sold records. Even some drugstores had records in the day. And here I'm coming around wanting to say, I could make a good record store. I could make it happen. And, of course, they didn't believe me, and they refused to give me money. But um, with the support of my father, I was able to get $5,000 as a business loan. And um, we took off from there. And having had the experience previously to Area Records and Music, I worked the record department in that store. We also sold instruments and accessories, and it wasn't going far enough, and I thought we could. And I was then, I separated from that music store to create my own, and when I got gone, fortunately and surprisingly, it started on the right foot right away the first day we opened, and I, I remember being very surprised for the amount of business we had done that first day and then second, third day. And um, after about three weeks of business and rolling along, it's kind of funny because the banks all of a sudden came in when their officials go, hey, we see things are going good. We're seeing what's going on. You know, if you like, we could let you borrow some more money. And I just smiled and said, no. <laughs> um, I just didn't have to at that point in time. And uh, it just, like, again, it just took off from there. Geneva Record and Coin, great place. Uh, a gentleman by the name of Tilly, I don't know his real name, I think it was Charles something, but everybody knew him as Tilly. Uh, he came up through the store. Um, his mother had the business to begin with, and um, which they had done. They were like taking care of like um, those, what do you call it, the jukeboxes. They would cater to jukeboxes locally with 45s, but also had been involved in coin collections. I think he did stamps also. And then eventually he had his own little shop and got away from catering, but continued selling 45s and albums and the stamp and coin collections. And I used to, every once in a while, skip school and go down there and hang out, uh, as well as other kids my age when we were teenagers in the 60s, especially the high schools up here where the college facility is now. 
And, um, you know, during lunch, whatever, instead of hanging out for lunch at the school, I'd run down to Tilly's and, you know, we'd pester him to play like the new singles that were out. And he would go out of his way and order albums for us that we wanted that he wasn't stocking. He didn't have that many at all, very small, but it was the place to go. And uh, it was just a great, it was just great atmosphere there. And as a matter of fact, his main counters are my main counters. Um, and uh, when I had 45s racks behind those counters, they were the 45 racks he had behind his counters. What had happened is uh, when I decided I wanted to open up a store, I went to him also. I go, look, Tilly, this is what I want to do, but I don't want to hurt you. But I want to open up a record store. He goes, go for it. He goes, I don't know how much longer I'm going to be doing this anyways, but go ahead and do it. I go, thanks, Tilly. I got your blessing. And when you know it, about a month before I opened up and as I was getting things ready, he passed on. And the first thing I did was try to contact the family go, look, is there any of his merchandise or his uh, fixtures that I could get my hands on and purchase and whatever. And I got his main counters and his 45 racks, as well as that one wo wooden uh, uh, brown colored rack up in the front there that has albums in it. That was his main record rack. And so here we are using it today. So God bless him. There is a market out there still, obviously. They do come from further away. And unfortunately, there are less stores doing this. As a result, I think a lot of, and it also makes us more of a specialty shop, especially among small town. You do have your big box stores still, you know, like the guitar centers and this and that, uh, with the equipment. They don't get in the CDs though. And there are other stores, of course, selling recorded music. But for, the one thing I thought was key is Geneva's centrally located. That's a key factor. You gotta know your market area. And it's not just Geneva, it's all the towns and communities surrounding it. So I always thought if I could capture and get my hands in the market between here in Rochester, here in Syracuse, here in Ithaca, instead of them going to Rochester, Syracuse, and Ithaca, just kind of keep it more home base, it would work. And fortunately, I, I think it has. And when I bought this building, the main reason why I wanted this building was because of the parking lot we have right across the street. Because most of my business, I'd say 80% of my business, if not even a little more, is from out of town. And that parking lot across the street makes it convenient because we started in one Franklin Square from 1977 until 1984. And then we moved into here in 1984. And that took it another stage higher in sales and building up our inventory. Well, it's worked. Day one started with six record racks, um, a one eight track case, um, stereo accessories and 45 singles and uh, kept a very tight inventory as we sold we kept paying our bills because at first they wouldn't give me very much of a leech on lease l latch or whatever you want to call it anyhow um, I guess I'm nervous in front of the mic but uh, my credit they'd only give me like you know seven day credit one week at a time and I had to build it up so you know we're keeping my, our eyes on everything and as we were selling, we keep bringing it back and building up the inventory that way. After a couple years, in fact, this year opened 77, it was pretty much right around 1980. The store that I formerly worked for was starting to make a little shift and they weren't really going upward any longer in business, let's say. So I saw there was a little bit of an opening here and uh, you know, I'm starting to get a little itchy to expand. And what would I want to expand into? Well, I'm familiar with musical instruments and accessories. So I've started putting ideas together on that and um, we just uh, started to incorporate small and slowly built that up also. 
in our former location in One Franklin Square, we started knocking walls down to expand the floor space. And we did that a couple times anyways. And then um, as it was building up and getting more crowded, I started uh, looking for a building or a place to, to move and whatever and the banks were willing to work with me so I get the mortgage and all that thing going on and uh, fortunately we heard that this building was becoming available and kind of marched in here and told them what we wanted and how we wanted it and we'll give them so much time to sell it to us and they did and here and we moved in well we had to do a lot of repairs and setup, but we moved in and uh, I think it was the perfect location for us. Once the drinking age changed when it used to be 18 you know, you had your weekly musicians come in and having to get their weekly good strings, drumsticks, drumheads, this and that, uh, maybe another amplifier or something. Um, it kept a real nice high flow going. But then once they changed the drinking age 19, okay, it was still happening. But when it hit 21, um, it, it changed drastically a little because... You know, when, when the drinking age was a little younger, you could be in high school putting a band together in your junior, senior years, and you're getting ready, and you know when you got out, hey, the bars are next, you know, uh, because when you got out of high school, you're 17, 18 years old. And um, that graduation from school to bar for bands all of a sudden slowed down because of the, uh, you had to wait till you're 21. You couldn't go in the bars any longer start playing. And... Um, the DJs came on, and the owners liked that, I think, the uh, bar owners, because you didn't have this whole troop of musicians walking into your bar, setting up, and then they played. And after they played, they're hanging around for hours. DJ comes in with a suitcase and equipment, whatever. He's in and he's out. And so that kind of changed a lot of regular, immediate sales weekly with these con consistent flow musicians in and out. Uh, a lot of you know, and now we're at the stage where a lot of the musicians are just like at home or getting together with friends and doing that. Back in the day, a little earlier, um, there the college had a musicians collective, and we did a lot of business with them, and we got to know a lot of musicians. And there were bands that came out from the college, and someone went through the collective, and they would be playing at the local bars as well, you know, and they, the college was into it, the community was into it, and you know, just uh, then the. It, like I say, with the drinking age going up, it just cut that crowd down going to the bars for live music and uh, the bands themselves. It just it just happened. A lot of those old uh, those musicians that were playing regularly, it used to come in like we were talking about. Uh, it's funny, they go away, they get their families, they settle and take care of their work and doing the dishes and running the kids all around. Then all of a sudden the kids are out of the house. All of a sudden, these people pick up their instruments again and start playing. All of a sudden, I see these old familiar faces coming back in the store. They need strings. They need repairs, etc. Not to mention the fact that a number of them start joining forces with other guys there in the same boat and whatever. All of a sudden, the house is empty. I got time to play music. Hey, let's get together and do this. Then you've got groups like the Doctors and some of these other guys, maybe combos and trios playing together, and uh, they're back and playing again in a much softer, easier sense, though, and scene. So it's, it's funny to see that happen. Customers come in and go, oh, yeah, yeah, it's great to do it again, and I don't care, and it's nice to have a little bit of that rock attitude and on, but I'm enjoying myself, I'm having fun. Or some guys will buy a drum set, and they're just in the basement, and they're just letting it all out, playing drums again. They'll turn up the music, and that's their exercise. They hadn't done it in so long, but they're loving it again, so it's good. Music in the Key of Geneva is a production of the Geneva Historical Society. Carrie Lippincott, Executive Director. 
John Marks is our executive producer. Music in the Key of Geneva is supported by a grant from the New York Council for the Humanities. Any views, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent those of the National Endowment for the Humanities. I'm Kelly Walker. Thanks for listening.